This audio recording is produced by Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous, also known as FA. FA is a program based on the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. It is free and open to anyone who wants to stop eating addictively. The following is one FA member's story of recovery. The opinions expressed here are those of the individual member and do not represent FA as a whole. If you are new or uncertain about FA, we encourage you to listen to several stories to gain an understanding of what the program offers. For information on the FA program, please visit our website, foodaddicts.org. Hello, welcome to this virtual qualification recording of Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous FA, recorded on Saturday, February 19th, 2022. I'm a food addict from Massachusetts. I will share my story of recovery from food addiction. Oh, so grateful to be doing this. Grateful to have the opportunity to share I qualify to be in this program. You know, there was a time I wasn't sure and it was a brief time, but I didn't look like everybody when I came in. I was young. I was 22 years old and I didn't identify with everybody's story at the beginning. I wasn't overweight. I wasn't bulimic. And a lot of people shared about those two things, but I knew that I had a problem with food. I knew that I ate in a way that was so self-destructive and uncontrollable at times. And just so grateful that, you know, for that recommendation, when we come into program that for the first 90 days, we don't share, because I got that opportunity to just sit and listen and through other people's stories I got to identify and realize I I am such a food addict and I'm really powerless over food. So I'll start a little bit at the beginning. I I was born in um I was born in Israel. My parents moved to the States after they had me. So I was a baby when I was um moved here, but my whole family still was all over there. So I grew up um just this, just the four of us, you know, and my, my father's parents moved first and, um, my dad followed his parents. So it was small family here and big, big, big family over there. Um, my parents, um, they really did the best that they could. They were so young and they were immigrants uneducated, didn't have a lot of money, didn't, you know, speak the language fluently, didn't finish high school. They had it rough. They, they, um, they were young. It was somewhat of a prearranged marriage and, but man, they were, they were strong. They were, they're, they're still alive and they are strong individuals who really did the best that they could with a lot of situations that were challenging so I, I was pretty shy as a kid. I think that's the way that someone might label me. I was really introverted and shy. I was on the thin side, just like average kind of body for little one. And, um, but man, oh man, from a very young age, I was obsessed with my body, comparing myself to the other little girls. I know that this disease just gets worse. And that is really my story, you know, with the body obsession, with the binging, 
with the mental part of this disease, the spiritual, um, you know, I guess deprivation in a way that I was in, that I, I was living, everything just continued to get worse. And I suffered from anxiety and depression from a very, very young age. I mean, I have report cards from one in elementary school and the signs, they're all over the place. They, they are just all over the place, learning disabilities. And so I struggled a lot when I was a young person. And in those days, there wasn't that much. I'm 45 now. So it was a while ago. And um, my parents tried to get me some help, but nothing really manifested from it. They didn't know what was really going on. So I was somebody that sought comfort. I can see that now. And I think it was my mom, you know, for a long time. And then at a young age, it turned to food. I remember at a young age, elementary school years, just everything just felt like too much. I spent a lot of time in the nurse's office. I always had a headache. I had a stomach ache and I enjoyed the feeling of going to the nurse's office. And that there's like, ah, like I can just like lay in her bed and just like be a little bit protected from everything in the world. My grandfather would have to pick me up from school. My mother would have to pick me up from school. I could just go home and watch TV and eat. And it didn't even have to be sick to do that. It could just be like coming home from school, the neighborhood kids would be playing soccer and, you know, street hockey and whatever kids just running around. And I just wanted to watch TV, get my little snacks that I would hide. So my brother, I had a brother two years older and it was just like, ah, okay. Like everything is okay for this moment. TV and food were it was medicine for me. It was medicine and it worked until it no longer worked, which I'll get to a little bit later. Um, I had some weird behaviors around food, even back then, you know, I started babysitting at around probably like 11, 12 years old. And I just have memories of taking food wrappers and putting it at the bottom of a trash bin, flushing things down the toilet wrappers, just not wanting to leave any evidence because I came from a somewhat strict house around food. It wasn't like that before, but at 42, my father had his first heart attack and he was super healthy. I mean, my dad played soccer and works out and doesn't smoke, doesn't drink. He just has the genes of someone who has heart problems. So he had his first heart attack when he was 42. He had his second heart attack at 45, quadruple bypass. So some things started to change in our house around foods. and. I definitely start to pick up this sense of like, there was good food and then bad food. And I just always wanted bad food. And I was a very picky eater as a youngster. So again, I just, I started to develop some kind of double personality around food. Wait till everybody would go to bed and then get food, babysit, wait till the kids would go to bed, get food. And I also, I was, I was obsessed with my body starting at age 12. I mean, I, I just felt so fat when I was looking in the mirror and I would hold parts of my body, like squeeze it in just to see what I look like with thin thighs. And I wasn't heavy at all, like at all, but I was broken. My eyes were, were really broken. I started going to the gym 
probably when I was around 13, 14 years old, my dad would go. So I would just join him and just obsessed with that number, you know, that was on the scale. And I don't know, I just feel like I've been tortured by this disease. I just took over so fast, but I really understand now that it was all about comfort for me. It was all about escape and comfort. So, you know, I progressed. I just kind of kept moving in my life. I had a hard time socializing, but I could always kind of have one or two friends that I could hold on to. And when I was about 14 years old, when I was this summer from eighth grade into ninth grade, I forget that you are 13 or 14 years old. I started to party. I had some friends who had older siblings and I was introduced to pot and it was like the perfect gateway drug for me. It was because my eating before was a lot of private eating. And then when you're drinking and smoking pot with friends and smoking cigarettes, all of a sudden it was like, after your party, you go to different places and you eat food or you go to the convenience store. And I, I just loved it. I mean, I felt like, Ooh, I don't have to hide. Like all my friends are getting this food and that food. And so I started to put on weight and I started to just really escape, like just like develop kind of almost a different, I was like so close to my mom. So, so, so close. And then when I started to party, and find different drugs to escape. I turned into just like a different kid, a different personality. I know that happens. Teens break away from their parents and that's a completely normal and healthy behavior. Mine just, I mean, I was swearing, fighting, screaming, you know, doing things that were getting me kicked out of the house. Um, I, I, I just had like so much self-hate that I didn't know how to talk about it. I didn't know how to deal with it. So I just used things. And I, I just remember, you know, coming home from parties and it would, it would be time to like pass out and go to bed, but it was like, I'm home now and I can order food. And that 30 minutes until the food got there, it was like torturous. I was like, what do I do? I just watch TV and ate, watch TV and ate. And then God forbid somebody came out of their room, my mother or father. It was like, get away from me. Like I just wanted my food. I didn't want anybody to talk to me. So I kind of continued. I had, again, a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression and didn't know how to deal with it. I struggled in school. I was like graduated at the bottom of my class in school. I got to college barely, like I just barely got into college. I went there and this disease just gets worse. Like everything just got worse on the outside, going to proms, having boyfriends, looking cute. I could dress the part, totally dress the part and cheerleader. But on the inside, it was so miserable and, oh, it was really hard. So anyway, fast forward, go to college and it just got worse. Everything just got worse. I'm smoking pot all the time. I'm drinking several nights a week. My weight was the highest it was been. So I was one four, I got up to like 142 and I'm like 112 now. And, and I'm five, two and a half or three quarters, five, two and a half, something like that. Anyways. So I got up to my heaviest and, oh, did I just, I just hated it. I hated my weight. I hated myself, but again, like on the outside, everything is great. I got my first boyfriend, like real boyfriend, skateboarder. So cute. And 
yet all of my addictive behaviors just took off. And after the first semester, I decided to come home. Like I needed to sober up. I didn't know the language yet, but I just knew like something needed to change. I also started to have some awarenesses that I might possibly be gay, but I was like, no, don't even look at that. Don't talk about it. It was not okay in my family. Um, but sometimes when I was, you know, drunk or stone, I would have awarenesses, but I, again, I was like, just shoving it down. We're not dealing with that. We're not going to talk about that. So I came home for the first semester and I did, I stopped drinking alcoholically. I stopped smoking pot and oh my goodness, the depression just, it came on. I like, didn't want to leave my house. I didn't want to hang out with friends. I just wanted to be in my sweatpants, my sweatshirt, watch TV and eat and eat and eat. And the awareness is that I were gay. Like they just weren't going away and I had to deal with it. And so, you know, I did come out to my family and to my friends and it wasn't easy. It was, um, it was actually incredibly, incredibly hard. And I just, I just didn't have to deal with it. And I couldn't at the time. So anyways, I just started, they talk about this in the big book, these like geographical cures. Like if you just go somewhere else, it will be better. And that's what I thought. Like, I'm going to go back to Israel. I'm going to go, I want to stay with my family there. And so I did, I was like, okay, let's go to college in Israel. So I got into a college in Israel. I went there, lived with a guy, still ignoring, like all I just went through. I was like, nope, we're just going to bury that. And um, I went to college there and then I quit. I quit yet again. Like I just couldn't, I was a very low functioning addict. Some people are high functioning, overachievers. They accomplish their goals. I set out for them. And then I'm like, whoa, too hard, too uncomfortable, too what? Let's just quit and do something else. I just like constantly was like pivoting and doing something else. So, you know, this kind of started a trajectory for me of like, let's just go somewhere else. So I'm going to fast forward here because it will just take too long, but, you know, spent some time in Israel, moved in with a guy. Then I went to England and stayed there. You know, I have a history of um, you know, begging on the streets for money. I have a history of not having homes and just crashing with random different people that I don't know. I went back to Israel, then I went back home, then I went to Ohio, I met somebody online, just one-way tickets, like just one-way tickets and very unhealthy relationships, putting myself in situations that were not healthy. And food is here the whole way, you know, food and other things were there always, always, always at night, especially I'm a huge, I was a huge night, eat, night eater. And also a big part of my story is that I'm a total health fanatic. Like I was a vegan. I was a vegetarian. I have a deep, like holistic side in me, acupuncture and yoga and meditation, pure, clean eating, and then eating like an animal and binging on thousands, like thousands of calories in a sitting. It was like, I, I knew the person I wanted to be. And I would try and I just couldn't get there. Like I just couldn't achieve it. Um, they do say that this disease is spiritual, mental, and physical. And 
I didn't suffer too much from the physical. I don't know why I ate so much food. I also, you know, I, I exercise a lot too, but not enough to consider myself a bulimic exerciser, but the mental part of this disease is really what brought me here. Like, and the spiritual, like I had just such a spiritual blackout that, that God size hold that people talked about. It was the emptiness, like constantly reaching, trying to fill it up in some way. is just a huge part of my story and the mental part of, um, like just not feeling connected to anything, having no direction, no clarity, not being able to make a decision, being so riddled with fear, doubt, and insecurity on the inside, not on the outside. I was a punk rocker. I, I had no problem flying to different places, randomly taking care of myself. I like would steal things and spray paint things and go to rallies and like externally had a tough um, exterior, but on the inside, I was so timid, so afraid, but I didn't know it. I didn't know. It was like when I'm eating, all of that is just masked. I'm just numbing out from dealing, you know, with what's in front of me. So I, um, I just kept moving along in my life. Things were not getting better. They were not getting easier, all different kinds of relationships. And I, in one of my trips to Israel, I got food poisoning and it, it started, um, a journey for me because I, I was getting really sick, really sick with stomach aches. And at one point when I came home, I ended up, um, just trying to seek some care for what was going on, you know, with my stomach, even though I couldn't eat things and I knew that certain things were going to bother me yet, I still ate them anyways and continued to, to get sick. So I started this journey to find out like what's going on. And one thing that I found out about and read about was, um, candida, right? There's like a flour, sugar, yeast kind of allergy. And I started to read some books about it. I was like, yeah, I really am relating to this. There's something that is really true for me. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to try this diet that they had in the book. And I tried it and I felt better. Like a couple of things changed for me right away is it was like this mental clarity, even of just one week of eating this diet, I felt something happen in my head. It was like, I feel like different, like not so jittery, not so anxious. Not so confused, like, I don't know, like just a little, just a little glimpse of it. Um, and I went to the bookstore. I was like wanting to get some more books. And I went to the bookstore to return these books. I was so dishonest about like most things in my life. I was going to return the books that I already read, get the money from it and buy some more books. So anyways, fast forward, went to the bookstore. And there was a coffee shop in this bookstore. I walked past it and it was like, these little food items from behind the glass case were talking to me like, I'll have like one, can you, can you get one of me? And I was like, no, like I didn't want to eat it. I started to feel a little bit better. And the voices just got louder and louder. I went to the counter to get um, money for these books. And for some reason, the words came out of me, like, do you have a section on addiction? 
And I went to OA when I was 18 years old. I, I guess I, 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 um, my dad owned a laundromat and he had a vending machine at this laundromat and on it was a flyer for OA. And I remember going at 18, I went, sat in a circle, people gave me their phone numbers. I went to a meeting, but I was just freaked out. I was like, I don't think I'm ready for this at all. But also, I'm just jumping around here for a second. In my dad had this bin of books, like you could recycle books, like customers would come in, drop books off. And there was another book there by this woman who wrote about food. And this woman like became my guru. I was just, I followed her. I read all of her books. And then I would follow this other person and read her books about food. And I felt like anybody that said anything about some solution around food, I was like, yeah, that never, ever worked for me. Like I went to therapy to talk about my food because I, I, I just couldn't stop. I had the vending machine keys to fill up the vending machine that my dad had. And it was like, okay, I'll stock one and then have one. And then I started off with like the healthy snack and then I moved. And then I left the store unattended so many times because it was a candy store at the end of this plaza. I would just leave it, cash register and all. And I look, I, I went down there and I'd get stuff and I'd bring it back. I go down there, I'd get stuff and bring it back. So anyways, I'll go back to the bookstore. Got a book about food addiction. And then I went to the counter and got food. And then I went to the mall and got food. And then I went to the um, gas station. I, like, it was like an out-of-body experience. I was like, oh my goodness, I'm so powerless over food here. Like I can't stop getting more and getting more. So anyways, I read the book about food addiction and I was like, sign me up. Like, I want to do this program. They had two programs in there for food. And one I already tried, the second one I hadn't tried. So I called somebody, I went to a meeting and I come in, half my head shaved, the other half is purple and pink and turquoise. I've got my piercings and my tattoos and my silver Doc Martens and my purple lipstick. And then there was a woman, I was like early 20s, 20, 21, I don't know. And like, there was another woman in there. She was maybe three or four times my age. And we looked nothing alike. We had nothing in common in that moment, except when she talked about food. I was like, oh my goodness, I'm not alone. It was just the two of us at this meeting. And I left with hope. I left with so much hope that there was a word for me. It was called food addiction. And that there was somebody else who could relate to what I was going through. Not the details, not the looks, not the externals, but like, what was going on for her inside. So I started off with that program, not FA, but it, you know, there wasn't quiet time. I just had to call and leave my food on her answering machine. It, it was slightly different, but it was what I needed at the time. Um, after quitting schools, I quit so many different schools, but I, I, I ended up dating this guy and he applied to go to school. And I was like, I'll apply to go to school with him because I would just follow people. Still not dating women. I was still like totally denying all of that. But he got into, he did not get into school, but I got into school and I was like, okay, I guess I'll go back to school. So I'm 22. I swore I would never go back to school again. And I 
they had FA in this small little town. And I went, like I went to a meeting. I went to an FA meeting and there were like all these people, they were thin and bright eyed and sharing about their experience. And I was so scared, but so relieved. I was like, sign me up. Like, I want to do what you're doing. And, um, and I stayed, that was 1999. I struggled a little bit at the beginning um, with food and binging and breaking, but I joined, um, you know, a, a 12 step study. Every time I wanted to break, I was like, I don't want to do it. I don't want, I want to stay in this 12 step study. There were these women that drove two hours to get to, you know, Chelsea mass to do these a walls. And I was like, we'd leave at four o'clock in the morning and drive there. And we did pack our breakfast and pack our lunch. And it was like, I got home at three 30. It was an AWOL and then a meeting. And I loved it. You wouldn't know on the outside. I was still my angry punk rock. Like, Oh, don't talk to me. Don't look at me. But like, I loved those drive. I loved the AWOL. I loved the meetings. I hated the break. I would hide in the bathroom because everybody's like, hi, how are you? How are you? And I'm like, I don't know how I am. I'm raw. I'm uncomfortable. I'm really tired and hungry and stop asking me how I'm doing. So I just, I would bring a pillow and I'd sleep in the car. <laughs> they just drove me back and forth and I just hardly talked to anybody, but I kept coming and I kept coming and I kept coming back. And I developed this relationship with a higher power that I didn't have before. I have a religious background, but I honestly didn't have a relationship with a higher power, but I needed it because what I found out is that if I wanted to stay abstinent, I had to be willing to be uncomfortable, which is what I ran from for my whole life. And if I wanted to stay abstinent, I had to learn how to be uncomfortable. So what do I do when I want food and I want to escape? Like I had to start going to this higher power. Sometimes it was through my phone calls. God works through people. Sometimes it was through a quiet time, through writing through my meetings, through my AWOL, through just, sometimes it would be 20 minutes of being really uncomfortable and then knowing it would pass. I slept a lot at the beginning. Oh, I was so tired. Raw was like the word that I could best describe myself. It was like, you took off my skin and now what? Like I'm left without food and what do you want me to do now? So I heard things like treat this program like a warm bath, treat it like a recliner. Don't try harder harder and harder. It's like, no, relax. Like just relax into this program, surrender a day at a time, 20 minutes at a time, a meal at a time. Um, but I have become very used to being uncomfortable because my life really got filled. I got married to my partner. I accepted who God has made me and I'm totally okay with being gay. We have two beautiful children. Um, I finished school on the total honor society. My mind cleared up because I wasn't eating flour and sugar and I was working this program. I've had, I've been employable. I wasn't employable before. Um, I'm sane. I'm pretty happy, pretty funny. Like I was so serious. Oh my goodness. I was so serious. Um, I've had challenges. I've had miscarriages and deaths in the family, like other people and financial issues and housing issues and um, 
challenges with my children, just life. I've had life happen. And it's like, it's okay. It's, it's okay. I don't have to escape. I don't have to run, but I did have to learn how to be uncomfortable. And, um, that's where, honestly, I understand that a lot of my growth has happened. So I'm grateful to be in a thin body, to have a relationship with a higher power, to have neutrality around food. I have neutrality around food. Like who knew that that could be the case? So grateful to be here and um, have shared my story with you. Thank you for listening to this audio recording. To hear additional recordings or to learn more about Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous, you can visit our website, foodaddicts.org.